Our special music this morning is by Heidi Hewescott, and um, he touched me. This morning is found in uh, Revelation 3, 20 to 22. Revelation 3, 20 to 22. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice 
and open the door. I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I have overcome and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Dean has our message this morning entitled, Has Jesus Touched You? Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you here and to be here to worship God. And we uh, welcome our friends that have come from a far country. They're Christians. They love the Lord, and they've come to worship with us. John and Cheryl Cole and Siobhan and my good friend, Nicole. She's about this high. <laughs> okay. And, of course, my sister and Dale and uh, their family here, Joanne and Bruce. The Incomparable Christ, written yesteryear by Lincoln. More than 1900 years ago, there was a man born contrary to the laws of life. This man lived in poverty and was reared in obscurity. He did not travel extensively. He possessed neither wealth nor influence. His relatives were inconspicuous, uninfluential, and had neither training nor education. In infancy, he startled a king. In childhood, he puzzled the doctors of the law. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature, and he walked upon the billows as if it were a pavement. And he hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitude without medicine and made no charge for his services. He never wrote a book, and yet all the libraries of the country could not hold the books that had been written about him. He never wrote a song, and yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all the songwriters combined in this entire world. He never practiced medicine, and yet he has healed more broken hearts than all the doctors far and near. He never marshaled an army, nor drafted a soldier, nor fired a gun, and yet no leader ever had more volunteers. He is the star of astronomy, the rock of geology, the lion and the lamb of the Zoological kingdom, he is a revealer of the snares that lurk in the darkness, the rebuker of every evil thing that prowls by night, quickener of all that is wholesome, the adorner of all that is beautiful, the reconciler of all that is contradictory, the harmonizer of all discords, the healer of all diseases, and the savior of all mankind, your savior. He fills the pages of theology and hymnology. Every prayer that goes up to God goes up in his name. He is asked to be granted and is asked to be granted for his sake. The names of the past proud statesmen of Greece and Rome have come and gone. The names of past scientists, philosophers, and theologians have come and gone. But the name of this man abounds more and more through time, though time has been about 2,000 years since he lived on this earth. Herod could not kill him. Satan could not seduce him. Death could not destroy him. And the grave could not hold him. He stands fresh upon the highest pinnacle of heavenly glory proclaimed of God, acknowledged by angels, adorned by saints, 
and feared by the devils. Underline that one. He's feared by the devils. As the living personal Christ, this man, as you know, was Jesus Christ, your Lord and my Lord and Savior. Some time ago, I had the occasion to listen to someone speaking, and something caught my attention immediately when he said it. He was talking about Jesus and his walk on this earth. He said something like this. He said, when Jesus, and by the way, he'd been a, he'd been a minister for years and decades, been a foreign missionary out in New Guinea, and just had been three or so decades in the faith, if you will, preaching from a place like this. And he said it was a new insight that flashed into his mind after all those years. And it was this, when Jesus touched someone when he was on earth, Jesus thereby was transferring that person's death or evil or sickness to himself from where he took it to the cross to die for us. When he touched someone, he took whatever they had. How bad it was, it didn't matter. Leprosy, whatever it was, he took it to himself. And then, of course, took it to the cross. And that set me to thinking. I said, you know, there's a sermon here. There's a truth here that I must study. So I got out my trusty concordance, and I found many places in the New Testament where Jesus actually touched someone or they touched his garment or they touched him. So this morning I'd like to review with you some of these um, biblical passages where Jesus actually touched someone or they touched but the hem of his garment and were healed. And this study, really, the more I got into it, the more exciting I became about it. So let's start first, though, with, with the theme of the whole message this morning for a few minutes. That would be in Matthew 9, verses 35 and 36. By the way, some of you I know like to take notes, but next week we'll have a complete copy of this for you here in the foyer if you wish a copy. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness. Didn't matter what it was. Healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion or sympathy for them because they fainted and they were scattered abroad as the sheep that had no shepherd. What a beautiful place to start this morning, our, our journey. Next, we would go to the book of Mark, and it's Mark 1, starting with verse 34. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. Isn't this interesting? The Pharisees, by and large, did not know who they were talking to. But the devils, meaning the evil angels, who once were in the heavenly courts, but sided with Satan and came down here. They knew who he was. Isn't that interesting? And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon, they that were with him, followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for you, Jesus. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there, also for therefore have I come forth. Throne of heaven, throne of the universe, 
keeping billions of planets in order. And he came down to this small planet. And he saith unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. And they, there came a leper to him. You want to realize, leprosy in that day and age was a death warrant. And he came a leper and beseeching him, kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. What was Jesus' response? And Jesus, here we have that word again, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him. He touched him. In that day, no one touched a leper. They stayed many yards away from a leper. And saith unto him, I will, be thou clean. You know what the next words are? Immediately. And as soon as he had spoken immediately, the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. He touched him. He wasn't afraid to touch a leper. We go next to Matthew Matthew 1. And then Jesus was, was come. I'm sorry, Matthew, Matthew 8. Jesus, starting with verse 14, and Jesus was come into Peter's house. He saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever, and he touched, he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, just with his word. As the psalmist has told us, he spoke and planets came forth. But here he spoke and the sickness was gone. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken of by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sickness. Now that got me to thinking as I studied this subject. Isaiah 53, interesting, read it so many times. But I think in reviewing for this time, I saw it again for the first time. Isaiah 53 has a lot to say about the subject of Jesus bearing our sicknesses and bearing what we have that we don't want. So I looked up in Isaiah 53, and here we have verse 4. Surely he hath borne, borne, placed upon himself, our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. You've read this many times. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was where? Upon him. Upon him. And he, with his stripes we are healed. Then it goes further. We've just heard that it was upon him, something I'd never really seen in that light before. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, laid on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Down to verse 10. This is a verse that every time I read about it or think about it, absolutely stuns me. Verse 10. Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Do you, do you, do you understand the depths of that? God, the Eternal Father, was pleased that Jesus went to the cross to save sinners like me. Okay, verse 11. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Justify many, for he will bear, 
Here we have it again. They bear their iniquities. We have upon him, laid on him, and now we have bear their iniquities. And down in verse 12, we have it again. He is numbered with the transgressors, and he bear the sin of many. I'd never seen that before. I'd read it, but it didn't hit me like it did in reviewing this. Now we go, those are King James. We go to the New Living Translation and listen to these words. It was the Lord's good plan to crush him. Now we have another, another connotation here. God the Father, it says it was a good plan. A good plan to crush Jesus on the cross. Crush. That word we, we get the picture of. It's, it's crushing. And cause him grief. Yet when his life was made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants meaning there'll be many in the new earth because of what Jesus did. He will enjoy a long life. Not a long life like we know a long life. Eternal life. And God's, the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. And when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, his death on the cross, he will be satisfied. Oh Lord, I just cry out, this is too good for me. I can't understand it all. We go on to Matthew 9, verses 18. While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her. Apparently the word had gotten out. If Jesus just laid his hand on somebody, they could be healed. My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. Talk about faith. That's amazing. And when Jesus came, we're going now to verse 23, and, and when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. Oh my. And when the people were put forth, he went in and took her, what? By the hand. Took her by the hand. And the maid arose, and the fame thereof went out abroad unto all the land. But in the midst of this story, we have another story. This starts in verse 20. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came before him and touched the hem of his garment. Just touched the hem of his garment. And she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned about, and he said, he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that very hour. From the throne of the universe, where he controls all the planets, billions of galaxies, he comes here, and he has allowed a woman to touch him. You see, he didn't, accidentally go that way that day. That was a God appointment thing. Then, in this same passage, verse 27, And when Jesus departed, hence two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came into him. And Jesus said unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this. And they said unto him, Yea, Lord. 
And he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. Jesus touched them. We go now to Mark Mark 3. For it healed many, insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him. Yes, the word had gotten out. And as many as had plagues. And the unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Listen to these words. Thou art the Son of God. Thou art the Son of God. Evil angels now, formerly angels in the heaven above, recognized the Son of God when God's own people of that day often did not. We come now to Mark 8. And he cometh to Bethsaida, verse 22, and they did bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had, uh uh-oh, what does it say? Spit on his eyes and put his hand unto them, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. And after that he put his hand again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. Now wait a minute. I used to puzzle over that so much so that I had to know what it meant. So I looked up in a commentary. And guess what? You probably already know this. In that day and age, the people of that time believed there was some magical power in saliva. And so Jesus simply was using that to be on the same level with them. Now, it wasn't the saliva that healed the blind man. But Jesus was identifying himself so closely to their thoughts and thinking that later he could reach them with the gospel. That's what he was doing. It's an amazing thing. There's twice in the New Testament, at least, where Jesus... Now, another translation from the New Living Translation says he put the saliva on his hands, then he touched their eyes. But King James says, well, he did what we just said. But when I have a verse like that, I can't, I can't sit still till I know, what, what, what does this mean? What, what is this? Okay, now we go to Luke 18. And they brought unto him also infants that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me. Forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Are you ready for the next verse? Are you ready? Are you sure? Verily, and remember when Jesus says verily, he says, I really mean this. Listen up, Dean. Elbert, Julie, (laughs) verily I say unto you, whoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. My friends, have you watched a little child? We all have. Watch them play, watch their innocence, watch their naivety at times, watch their sincerity. Jesus is saying, Arrogance be gone. All those things that go with arrogance, out of here. Unless you become as a little child, you will not enter my kingdom. We go now to Matthew 14, verse 35. And when the men of that city, place, had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased, 
Can you picture that? Can you put yourself there today? They went into the countryside and brought all the people that had diseases. What's the next verse say? And they besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made perfectly whole. Oh my. Lord. We go to Mark, Mark 7 now. And uh, verse 37, and they shall bring unto him, and they brought unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they beseeched him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude, put his fingers into his ears, and now you're ready for it this time, spit and touched his tongue. And another version, remember, says he put it on his fingers and then touched. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said unto him, Ephaphatha, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plainly. We go now to Matthew. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. But we'll go back to the first, the first verses here. Well, let's start with, with 20, 26 will be fine. Matthew 14. Yeah. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. That's Peter, all right, huh? And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship and walked on the water to go to see Jesus... Verse 30, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. Have you ever been there? As I have. Beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. He touched him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? They were come into the ship, the wind ceased, and they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And when they were gone over and came into the land of Genesaret, when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all the country round about, here we have it again, and brought all those that were diseased and besought him, and they might only touch the hem of his garment. Getting a picture, aren't we? And they, as many as touched him, were made whole. Matthew 17, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain. And he was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Then asked Peter and said unto the Lord, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles. Peter was missing the whole thing, wasn't he? One for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God the Father, talking from heaven. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them, touched them, and said, Arise. And here's those familiar words all through the New Testament, the angels that came to people. Jesus himself, be not afraid. 
be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And then we have in Luke, Luke 12, 22, Luke 22, the story of Judas betraying him with a kiss, starting with verse 47. And the, the motley crew came, and Peter couldn't help himself. Theologians think it was Peter. King James doesn't tell us exactly who it was. Got his sword out and swept one of the soldiers and cut his ear off. This man we're talking about, that's our Savior, reached out and healed the ear that was lying on the ground, put it back, the one that was going to start persecuting him. He even touched that person. What a lesson for us. Jesus can go to the depths. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, as we have here. We go to Luke 7 now. And it came to pass the day after that he went to a city called Nain. Here's my favorite story I've saved to the last. Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and unto her he said, weep not. Weep not? What's going to happen? And he came in. What did he do? He touched the beer. He just touched the beer, the coffin of the man. And they that, and he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. Jesus' words now. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him unto his mother. What a touching moment in Scripture. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us, and the God hath visited his people. Has Jesus touched you? I want to go away from Scripture for a moment, then we'll come back to it. I want to tell you a story that came to one of our evangelists that just impacted me like few stories have in my life. North Korea, atheistic country, where if you even possess a Bible and you're found out, it can be your death warrant. Or in prison camp where you get almost nothing and you starve. North Korea. There was a little lady, not very high. She somehow got a Bible in that atheistic country. This story came to one of our evangelists. It's a true story. And she got a Bible, reading, reading, reading. She was converted. She was born again. And in there she learned that the Christian is to be baptized once you've accepted Jesus. Um, so she somehow, the whole story isn't known, but the, the, the major details are known. She was able to cross the border of North Korea and China. And there she found a church slipped in the back door, sat in the back row. And the preacher up front noticed her, of course, because she had her head down just sitting like this. And so after the service, he went to ask her, because he was used to people, refugees, coming by that way, asking for money, asking for things to help them along the way. She wanted none of that. She just said to him after he said a few words to her, I, want, I, I must be baptized. 
baptized, okay? She just kept saying, I must be baptized, I must be baptized. And finally the preacher got the idea, she was serious. And so he started studying with her. He said, well, we're going to need to study a little bit so I can know where you're at. And they did that for a couple of months. And after that period of time, he was absolutely convinced this North Korean lady with her precious Bible was born again. So you had to be very careful, even in China, because it's not quite as bad, but nearly as bad. So they had a, an old, I don't know how the church had a bathtub, but this church had a little bathtub. And they went in there, dimmed the lights so nobody would notice on the outside anything was going on. Turned on the water, filled it up, and this preacher baptized this sweet little lady into Jesus in that bathtub. It wasn't long before she said, you know, I must continue my journey now. I'm satisfied. I'm whole. I'm baptized. Um, so the pastor advised her not, not to do this. But she was determined to get to South Korea and freedom as a newborn Christian. So what happened was one night she said, okay, it's time. I'm going to set off. She did have a cell phone. How in the world she got a cell phone? I have no clue. She had a phone. And she traveled at night through the country of North Korea to the border of South Korea and North Korea. And the pastor got a message from her on the phone said, tonight's the night I'm going to freedom in South Korea. And when she got there, she realized there were eight separate barbed wire obstacles between North Korea and South Korea. What kind of a country has to put eight barbed wire barriers between you and the next country? Well, that would be North Korea, this atheistic country. And so she started off, she said, I'm sure with a prayer, she started off and she said, okay, this is the time. When she was about halfway through, caught someone on the barbed wire, she was found, and she was executed. Now, later, the pastor got a message back that this had happened. And um, I am touched by this story. And I'm going to remind you, a little later on when we finish, we're going to talk about Revelation 19 and the marriage Supper of the Lamb. What a privilege it would be to sit beside her. So I decided to go through my Bible and try to find some texts that would be texts that she probably had read in her course of becoming a Christian. I don't know that she read them, but I'm somewhat sure that she did to be that strong little lady, North Korea. This is John 10, verse 27 onward. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. There can be no text that would be better appropriate for that lady. Verse 28, and I love and I give unto them eternal life, that they may never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And I've been intrigued with this word pluck. So I looked it up in a few other versions. King James says no one can pluck. When I've got a saved, born-again Christian, nobody's going to pluck them out of my hand. Another version says nobody will snatch them out of my hand. Another place I read 
where they cannot steal them out of my hand. Let, let me read you the, the um, King James says pluck. New England, uh, New English, I'm sorry, the, the New Living Translation says snatch. Let me read you what the voice says. That new Bible that I've gotten a hold of that I'm kind of excited about. It's a true translation, by the way. It's not a paraphrase, just FYI. Here's, here's, what, it, here's what it says. My father has given the flock to me, and he is superior to all beings and things. No one is powerful enough to snatch the flock from the father's hand. Does that give you courage today? I'm somehow convinced that that little lady had read those texts. I think she had also read this from Revelation 1, starting verse 17. And then, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And, she, and he laid his right hand upon me. Here we have John in vision, and Jesus is laying his hand on the prophet John, saying unto me, Fear not. Here's those familiar words again, all through the New Testament. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. If you're ever discouraged, if you ever wonder, is God really know me? Just read these verses. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. It is, there's more that I think this little lady read. This is from uh, Peter, um, chapter 4, 1 Peter. Starting with verse 12. Beloved, think not it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad and also with exceeding joy. Then over in chapter 5, verse 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You see, our little lady in a grave unmarked in North Korea, cast all her cares upon him, and he's got her safe in his arms for eternity. She probably already, already read also Hebrews 11 before she started her journey, for she read about Abraham, verse 10, Hebrews 11, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. She certainly had that experience. 2 Timothy 1, verse 12 and onward. I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. We have Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit, and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Then, I think she probably read 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19 onward. To wit that God was in Christ, eternal Father God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, 
that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. For you see, when Jesus was on the cross, there were two thieves on each side, as we know. This thief was going to be in heaven as promised by Jesus himself, right beside him there. He had sin in him still, but he had no sin on him because Jesus had taken it. Jesus, the one in the middle, had no sin in him, but he had sin all over him. Your sin's and mine. But unfortunately, this thief that was going down to eternal destruction that, that day, who was still cursing God until he died, had sin in him and on him. Should we say that again? The thief that, thief that was to be saved had sin in him until glorification, we all do. But he had no sin on him because Jesus took it all away. Jesus had no sin in him, but he had sin all over him, yours and mine. Then the other thief, unfortunately, cursing the Son of God, had sin in him and sin on him. I'm sure she read 1 Peter 1, verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. When she read those words, it must have thrilled her soul. For all of us, these words we should always keep in mind, and she certainly had read these from Revelation. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. He which is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, here's some wonderful words. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man and all add women a reward according to his work. I am Alpha and I am Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments and that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Whenever I see that word blessed, I think of Psalms and what David said. If you forgive your sin, ask Jesus to forgive your sins, you are blessed. What a promise it is. Um, I want to go away from Scripture now for a moment and read you something that a giant Christian wrote back in the 1700s that I treasure. Man's maker was made man that the Lord of the stars might nurse at his mother's breast. That the bread, here's a series of words about Jesus now, that the bread of life might be hungry that the fountain of life might thirst, that the light of life might sleep in that tomb for three days, that the way might be tired from the journey, that the truth might be accused by a false witness, as Jesus was that day, that the teacher might be bitten, beaten with whips, that the vine be crowned with thorns, that the foundation be hung on a tree, that strength might be made weak, that he who heals might be wounded, and that life might die, but to raise again on the third day. I had an experience once that 
was very life-changing, if you will. There was a man who I learned to know. He was 18 years old, working in a machine shop. And somehow, the Lord started saying, Edward, I got a mission for you. Kept working at the machine shop, day after day, week after week. Finally, he said, where's this coming from? Um, He decided to change his life completely, go to theology school, and become a giant theologian, teacher, preacher for, for the Lord. I went down to visit him in his retirement down in Carmel one day. We spent the whole day going down there and spent hours with this man. And it was a life-changing experience. Um, He wrote these words. He wrote these words. You can take me to the house and home of Annas and then shut shut me off to Caiaphas, back to Annas and then out to Pilate, then out to Herod. All the while I am hungry and thirsty, but back again to Pilate. You can spend the entire night punishing me and shoving me around, but I'm still going to love you. You can take me out and put a bag over my face, hit me in the face, and you can say, prophesy who hit you, but I'm still going to love you. You can push down a crown of thorns on my head until the blood comes flowing down, and you can put a purple robe on me and a reed in my hand and make fun of me, but I'm still going to love you. You can spit in my face and put a cross on my back, put me on the road to carry it alone. I was so hungry and thirsty I could hardly walk, but I'm still going to love you. You can march me up Golgotha's hill at Calvary and you can drive nails into my hands and my feet and set me up in the hot noonday sun but I'm still going to love you. You can strip me naked and before all the people there, but I'm still going to love you. You can make me the object of the wrath of God by your sin and cause a separation between my Father and me, but I'm still going to love you. You can torture me with the greatest hunger and thirst and kill me on a tree, but I'm still going to love you. It was words like these that Paul had to cry out in the gospel, in his in his books. For me to live is Christ. To him we live and move and have our being. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Jesus Christ. For I am determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Words like these drive me to the hymn. I'll just repeat these words. I dreamed I went to that city called glory, so bright and so fair. Title of this song is I bowed on my knees and cried holy. When I entered the gate, I cried holy. The angels all met me there. They showed me their mansion It took me from mansion to mansion, and oh, the sights I saw. But I said, I want to see Jesus, the one who died for for me. Then I bowed on my knees and cried, holy, holy, holy. I thought when I entered that city, my friends knew me well. They showed me all through heaven. 
The scenes are too numerous to tell. They showed me Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Mark and Luke and Timothy. For I said, but I want to give praise to the one who died for me. I thought when I saw my Savior, oh, glory to God, I just fell right down and before him. Singing praise to the name of the Lord, I bowed down and worshipped Jehovah, my friend of Calvary. For I wanted to give praise to Jesus for saving a sinner like me. Then I bowed on my knees and cried, holy, holy, holy. There's a text in Zechariah 3.2 that tells us that we, if we're true to ourselves, text talks about a brand plucked from the burning. If we all would look at ourselves, we would know that each one of us is a brand plucked from the burning. Because as Jesus told Peter, Peter, Satan has desired to have you, but I prayed for you that your faith fail not. I'd like to turn now to my favorite chapter in the Bible, Revelation 19. Thinking again, thinking again of our little Korean friend. Let's go to chapter 19 of Revelation. Starting about verse 7. God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage supper of the Lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that, one should, that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. We must remember always that it's a free gift from our God. And he said unto me, Write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, just to emphasize it, underline it three times, these are the true sayings of God. Would you be privileged when that day comes, to sit beside our little North Korean friend. How about the thief on the cross? Would you be privileged to sit beside him? We close with these words. It's familiar, written about a hundred years ago. The great controversy is ended. Sin and sinners are no more. The entire universe is clean. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From him who created all flow life and light and gladness. Throughout the realms of illimitable space, from the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things animate and inanimate, in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy, declare that God is love. Amen and amen. For a closing song, you have an insert in your bulletin. He touched me. If um, we can sing that song now, I think we have the pianist and the organ going to join us here. We had it all arranged to have beautiful pictures on the screen with the words of the songs. 
and electronics. Do we have it yet? Okay. Okay, we're so sorry, but uh, maybe we'll do this another time and have your... By the way, Brenda spent much time and effort getting gorgeous pictures of Jesus that fit the words to these songs. And uh, so, Brenda, keep them and we'll get it another time. service to end quite yet so we're going to have a second closing song but this will be the last one and it's in your bulletin there when we see Christ turning our turning our thoughts to the heavenly kingdom when we see Christ
Eternal Father, thank you for the words of Scripture we've heard this morning. Lord, help us to take it to our innermost heart and soul. And Lord, Jesus was here on earth and he touched people, they touched him. Today, we cannot touch you except we can be touched by you through our minds and our hearts. We ask for that blessing this morning to each of us. Lord, until you come in the kingdom, may we walk this earthly pathway, sharing the faith to everyone we meet. And as we leave here now, let's always remember we are entering the mission field. In Jesus' holy name.